everybody. Welcome to episode 16 of Vague Zone. I am one of your hosts, Daniel, and joining me as always is... Thomas. <laughs> and today we are discussing the fourth movie in the Final Destination franchise entitled The Final Destination. Uh, it is from 2009. It is directed by David R. Ellis. You may remember from Final Destination 2, from Snakes on a Plane, and you might be familiar with his stunt work on Hotel for Dogs. Yes, so, the classic. Uh, this is a beloved movie in the franchise, I assume. Uh, it was originally released in 3D, and we both watched the 2D version. Um, so, quick synopsis from IMDb. Uh, let me pull it up. After a young man's premonition of a deadly race car crash helps save the lives of his peers, death sets out to collect those who have evaded their end. Thomas, what did you think of this delightful, delightful movie, The uh, Final I, Destination? Uh, it's funny that you said it was beloved because it, it's read, it was written down as like one of the worst critically received ones. Like, I, I know. Yeah. I, know. <laughs> I thought it was super lazy. I wasn't into it. I, even I like, I'll give 3D movies the benefit of a doubt for the theater experience it probably was kind of elevated to have some of those moments actualized with the you know the entire thing in the in the theater but yeah watching this at home i was just like okay this is just really stupid and really silly and yeah it, it's a lot of fan service and like homages to other entries in the series but as its own it's just yeah it just felt kind of weak and kind of flimsy it has probably my favorite death in the entire franchise but overall it's, i think it's the, the weakest film so far and yeah it just yeah it's a weird one the 2d just didn't really work which is the premonitions just felt super cheesy and so i, I wasn't yeah. crazy about it um yeah i fucking hated this one <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was a slog watching it um like the 3d it feels like it's it's so it does this thing where the premonitions are you, you just get quick glimpses of different symbols and different um elements that might figure into how a person dies and the way it's done it's like poor cg and you could tell that they're really trying to have things flying at the audience in 3d it almost it reminds me of a, a dvd menu or something like that it, it looks yeah. really bad um something i've said in previous episodes about this series is that like if the stakes are life and death that is not enough the it only means anything if i actually give a shit about the characters Here's, here's how much this movie gives a shit about the characters. There is a character in this movie credited as MILF slash Samantha. <laughs> there is a cre uh, character credited as Mechanic. Um, <laughs> yeah, he actually he has a name. They say his name in the movie. It's Andy, but he's not credited as Andy. Uh, there's another character credited as Racist, as yeah. Racist's <laughs> wife, as Cowboy. Like, they don't give a shit about these people. Yeah, they just didn't give a shit at all. But yeah, this the way that the deaths are kind of happening, too, it's just like, yeah, like, the mechanic dies, guess where? In the mechanic shop. Like, the MILF dies, yeah. guess where? In the salon. And I was just like, okay. <laughs> this where? is just like, yeah, it's like you're not even, like, giving us something visually interesting to really tie it together when, you know, they're in uh, when they're encountering these things, because like, it made me like three a lot more because I was like, okay, like she's a yearbook photographer. She has these pictures. It's her character. Inside these pictures, there's like a layer of kind of deduction that's kind of required to figure out what's happening. And so that made, that seemed so much stronger in comparison to this, where it's just like, he's just in the car and then boom, he just sees three things. And those three things are the literal one, two, like, you know, those are the exact pieces that are involved in the mechanics of the death that happens. Yeah, the photographs are so much more fun as a device because it's it's almost like a I don't know. It feels like one of those games where you're trying to spot the differences or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Like you're you're looking at the photographs and then you're looking at the scene and you're trying to figure out what the relationships are rather than just being like, oh, okay, there's a there's a horseshoe and this guy yeah. has a horseshoe in his truck or something. I don't even fucking remember. <laughs> like, yeah, it, yeah. It it was just kind of ridiculous and. Yeah, I, I had a feeling you were going to say that because, yeah, I was watching this. I was like, oh, no, Daniel's going to hate this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, it was it was so hard for me to care because we, we've watched four of these movies now. And every time we're leading up to a death, um, it's just I know I, I know that they're red herrings. I know that you're just showing me elements that aren't going to matter. So it, it's lost all of its charm. Like the tricks are no longer interesting. 
Um, yeah. So I'm just like, I, w- I'm just waiting. It's like, it's like, yeah, I know, I know the, uh, the wire isn't going to factor in. Just show me the death. You're, you're trying to trick me. I don't care anymore. <laughs> just show me the fucking death. Yeah. It's like, it's damn near identical. And yeah, and it just, it's not working. I feel like maybe, and if I had a couple beers and saw this in, in theaters with 3d, I would have enjoyed it. Cause I actually, I'm a, I'm a fan of 3d movies and this is interesting cause it predates avatar by like four months. So I'm curious <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about like, that too. like how, like was like it really like that good as far as like the uh, i don't know like the 3d like i got kind of used to after avatar which i actually never even saw in theaters but dude avatar. the movies i did catch i was like i'm, I'm kind of into it and so uh, have yeah, you seen just, have you ever seen avatar we got to talk about avatar now <laughs> i've seen bits and pieces of it but it was one of those things that i just wasn't really interested when the trailer was out and when it was coming out and then yeah just a lot of my friends were just like yeah like let's drop acid and go see avatar and i was like "Eh, i'm I'm not i'm not really interested in doing that at all uh i had a buddy who worked at the theater so i got in for free and i wanted to walk out i was fucking hating it i really (laughs) hated avatar uh he told me stories about working at the theater and how a man came up or he saw a man walk out of the theater crying because he was so happy that uh the the protagonist the lead i forget what his name is he has a stupid name i think it's like jake sully or something yes like that's that. his name yeah. <laughs> uh, that he got to be with the navi woman at the end he was so happy a man was crying um, like, yeah he's totally into that colonialism he's like <laughs> damn it's like yeah like <laughs> yeah it's so oh god i fucking hated that movie but like yeah, maybe yeah maybe so... this... <laughs> go ahead go ahead i was gonna say I, i've had so many arguments about avatar and i think it's funny that i've never sat through the entire movie I've i had seen, like bits and pieces of it but yeah it's such a polarizing movie i had such a heated argument with my friends after that i still remember like drunkenly arguing in their garage and there's actually another point in my life where i was at a bar and this movie came up and a man at the bar ended up buying us drinks because he was so entertained by uh, our heated debate get passionate with that james cameron (laughs) yeah um anyways back to final destination this jolly good movie um so yeah what what is there to say let me let me think on this for a second yeah like i think it's worth kind of breaking down just a little bit of it because it does have a scene that i i thought was fucking hilarious and and that's the the death scene for hunt and that was like my favorite part of the movie just because it gets the silliest and the most ridiculous i was like yeah i was like if this was more in that direction i think it would have worked and there's like the lead up to that scene was just crazy because uh, uh, Nick is in his car and he's driving. He's like, "Yeah, gotta save her." And he looks to his right, and there's like the Clear Rivers uh, water yeah. company thing. And I was just like, "Oh my god!" Like, like I feel like it was a grown moment, but I was like, "Okay, like if you're gonna be campy and do all this silly shit, like I feel like they could have turned up the dial a little bit more." Like it starts off with a kind of cool uh, credit scene where there's just shots of all of the deaths, or not shots, but like recreations of all of the deaths from the first three movies, yeah. and like a. It's like a Mortal X- Kombat X-ray mode. Yeah, so. yeah. And I was like, this is kind of cool. Like, is there like the metal song behind it? And I was like, okay, like, it's going to be a little bit more campy or whatever. But I thought yeah. this was the highlight of the movie, was this this opening credit <laughs> sequence. Yeah, um, fair enough, fair it's enough. Very, it's, it's a fun watch. You're, you're revisiting all the best deaths. And it's just like a little love letter homage to the series. And yeah. And I death. felt like the movie was going to be going in that direction a lot further. But it seemed to kind of play it safe and just do the most low effort low level final destination move like you said with the characters like these are just caricatures they don't even have names or you know the names aren't even that important the movie kind of moves at its breakneck speed i know i'm gonna contradict myself with this but i was like yeah i appreciate that it didn't overstay its welcome and, and it wasn't you know really long but it's I, yeah, the shortest it just, one yeah it just rushes through everything though like and that was like okay like i i realize that's a contradiction but yeah it's just not really well paced um yeah so i think like a quick thing to establish is so we have four five named characters really so there's four friends there's nick and Lori who are a couple there's hunt who's kind of like a douchey dude with like a bleached hair and there's janet who used to date hunt but is no longer they're no longer together and she's just you know another one of the friends um they also cross paths with the, the the opening of the movie starts at a NASCAR race where there's a terrible accident. Yeah. Uh, that is our, you know, opening premonition that unites all of the survivors. Um, at the NASCAR race, they meet a man named George who works security. Uh, there is a woman named Samantha who's credited as the MILF. 
Uh, she's a mother who survived the accident. There is a mechanic who's kind of a douchebag who survives, a racist who literally has a swastika tattoo. Uh, he's yeah. one of the first to die, thankfully. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's just a hand, a smattering of other people who die who just really don't fucking matter. Uh, the yeah. movie is mostly centered on Nick, who is having the premonitions, his girlfriend Lori, who is helping them, uh, helping him figure out who's going to die next and how to track people down. It's It's normal. You've seen this... So many times already, you know what you know what happens. <laughs> you know how yeah. these movies work. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna mention I like I really appreciated uh, McKelty Williamson's performance in this movie because after watching The Purge Election Year, I was like, mm -hmm. okay, this guy's just gonna be like you know doing the same old thing. But he was kind of like a reserved performance as like this guy who got drunk and like it got into a drunk car accident and his uh, wife and daughter died in the, uh, in the result of it. And so he's kind of just like mourning over it and like kind of carrying this guilt. And so we get a little bit of that, like the character in the second move. No, is it the first? Yeah. It's the first one when it's like the mom who's like, I've already lost everything. So, you know, that's the second one. That's the woman who gets her head chopped off in the elevator. Yeah. Yeah. So it kind of mirrored that like character, which is also a, a David R. Ellis movie. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, I just appreciated his performance because it kind of helped ground it a little bit. Like, I just like that character. I feel like the family stuff is almost kind of tacked on, though. Like, we get one scene where... And I, I feel like it's the same scene that that concept is introduced in. I don't know when it's introduced. Actually, no, it is it, that the element of him having lost his family is introduced earlier in the movie. But there's a scene yeah. later in the movie where... Yeah, we're not going to do the. I don't think we're going to do the normal thing where we break it down beat by beat because yeah, yeah, no, I'm not happy apart, with yeah. this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but we do get a scene later where that character, George, he is attempting to kill himself uh, because he's trying to thwart Death's design. You know, Death is supposed to take everyone out in a specific order. He's trying to fuck up that order, I guess. Uh, yeah. And he cannot die. Um, yeah, he said he's, he's been trying all day and every time. Like All the attempts have been basically failing because of you know just the force of death is just stopping it from happening so that is like is that supposed to operate as a semi-emotional payoff to the idea that this man has been grappling with the fact that his family's dead because earlier in the movie we have him telling the mechanic uh he says something along the lines of i've have to live every day of my life in their memory right yeah he does say that so it feels like I, I, yeah i don't understand what's happening with this character like what Fair is the enough. what is the emotional payoff for him having suffered this tragedy in his life? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know if there is. Um, yeah, I just, I guess I just appreciated the actor's performance yeah. more so than what the character was actually going through. Now, the more that I'm like breaking it down in my mind, because it does feel like it, it almost feels like they were just yeah, we got to give this guy some more stuff to do. <laughs> we got to give we got to give his character a little something to work with. Yeah. Because there's not much connection to the actual race, you know, and then he's like this older guy. And so, yeah, he's kind of just like odd man out a little bit as far as like the rest of the cast of people. And I don't feel like so our main character, our main our main group of friends, Nick, Laurie, Hunt and Janet. Hunt is the only one who I feel like really gets much of a personality in this movie. Yeah, well, he's just the straight up asshole. Yeah, he's the douchebag. He's kind of the silly one. Uh, he doesn't take things seriously. At one point, he says, you know, if that's going to come for me, if I'm going to die no matter what, then I might as well go get laid. He says something along those lines. Yeah. And he does. And we get, like, our first major sex scene in a Final Destination movie. And uh, and he dies by getting his asshole eaten out by a fucking pool drain. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Well, watching this movie, I was like, God, this guy's an asshole. God, this guy's an asshole. And then, yeah, I felt like it was like a slight meta moment in this in this movie when he like he gets killed asshole first by yeah, the, boy, oh sucked boy. into this pool. And I was I, like, this is just fucking ridiculous. And I was definitely kind of squirming in my seat when that happened. Uh, I, I was definitely conscious of the fact that I was seated watching this man <laughs> get his asshole sucked out. Um, i do think that's one Intestines of the sucked out through the asshole sorry and i do <laughs> yeah yeah and i do think that is one of the stronger points of this movie because the way this scene works is uh nick has a premonition involving water involving like pipes and stuff like that and he doesn't know if it relates to janet or if it relates to hunt he can't remember who died first and janet is going through a car wash and hunt is at the pool so it's a race to figure out like 
who's gonna die and who can we save um so we're cross-cutting between hunt experiencing this trauma of being sucked into a pool and yeah. janet is at the car wash and things are looking terrible at the car wash too like all her doors are locked um the the sunroof is stuck open yeah her car is flooding and the sunroof closes on her neck so it's like she's just stuck in her car and uh the wipers are like slowly gonna scrub her face off i assume i don't know yeah that's the thing i was like okay before the whole like doors locking thing became an issue i was like okay why can't she just like climb out of this sunroof really yeah. fast when things start to get kind of bad but then yeah it eventually leads to her being wedged into the the sunroof as the water is rising below her and she's moving towards the the big rotating scrubber but then yeah and then in that moment i was like is the scrubber gonna kill her or is it just gonna like just like maybe just like hurt her really badly because then i guess yeah, it's a final destination movie yeah it's yeah it's gonna scroll going towards her off. death but i was just like yeah like it just that that was the moment i was like okay like i feel like this moment with hunt feels a lot more urgent and a lot more yeah uh, violent yeah he's like yeah he's either gonna drown or this thing is gonna suck his insides out yeah so the the car wash thing it, just, it didn't feel very menacing to me for some reason but i think for me that scene worked best because we have Lori and george on their way to try and save janet and we have nick trying to yeah. make it to hunt so there's actually there's actually tension there where it's a game of like who's gonna get saved who's gonna who's gonna are they gonna make it there in time sort of thing yeah, yeah. Um, it, is, it is, does the cross cutting really well yeah and i don't think any of these other deaths really have anything like that uh the milf's no. death she goes to a hair salon and we get introduced to a bunch of different elements that's maybe this is going to kill her. Maybe that's going to kill her. And then it ends on a joke where she tells her sons, I got my eye on you. And then yeah, a lawnmower yeah. hits a rock and it shoots her eye out. Um, this Just movie. Ridiculous. Yeah. This movie feels like it's, it wants to be the most comedic and the least serious. Uh, it's definitely directed by the guy who did the barbecue explosion scene in the second movie. Uh, yeah. And that's what uh, the Nazi character is so fucking weird to me. Cause like, yeah, like some, moment in the movie when like he's going to uh he's going to what's the guy's george's house and he's like about to fucking burn a cross on his, yeah. on his front yard and then the the horseshoe falls on the radio and starts playing why can't we be friends yeah and i was like no like why like you know you don't want to try to be friends with the nazi like no fuck that <laughs> like like why is this song like trying to like like i don't know it's just like that song it's like okay like that just didn't work for me at all yeah it's supposed to be this comedic irony but, yeah, yeah and like winking at the audience like look we're having a good time but it's like i wasn't having a good good time final destination i wasn't yeah. having a good time yeah it's like no not at all and then he gets killed in a way that's like yeah just it seemed very i don't know kind of tame well not tame but i don't know just getting dragged by his own car just, it yeah just seemed kind of and silly. he's he's on fire and the yeah. car explodes and i think we get his head flying probably towards the camera because it's 3d yeah so. at least it lands on the grass i think yeah so i guess uh. i retract that not very tame but it's, <laughs> it's over the top and fucking silly yeah i mean the, the the nascar scene is over the top and silly in a way that doesn't look good because yeah, it yeah. is using this weird cg and this weird 3d thing and it just looks bad like we get so this is something i actually did write down like kind of beat by beat what happens in the nascar race um so the way the accident happens is a driver prematurely exits the pit stop with the screwdriver hanging out of the car and eventually a car runs it over and flies out into the stands so we get a scene of uh this asshole couple the woman in the couple uh, the mechanic credited as mechanic's girlfriend gets her head <laughs> Uh, blown off by a stray tire someone gets crushed by a burning car the nazi couple get bisected i think by the is hood, it by yeah. a hood yeah it's okay. like the hood of the main car that or another car that explodes so i i read that there, this is actually kind of inspired by a real accident it is like the biggest motorway sports tragedy in history where like oh, over really? over 80 people died and there was an instance of a hood flying out into the stands and like either decapitating or maybe even bisecting people um, holy shit yeah um final destination a mother gets crushed by an engine the, i think it's the milf um yeah. 
the dude from oh the mechanic gets his head impaled by tripping and falling backwards onto a plank of wood yeah because the bench is like cracking in the beginning of the scene and then as the chaos ensues it completely snaps and then he slips and falls on it and we get this really campy shot of him like wide-eyed falling backwards onto the thing uh there's a man in a cowboy hat who also gets crushed by a a flaming car um falling rubble kind of just takes out everyone else and there's an explosion that throws nick our hero back into a piece of rebar which impales him and so yeah we got a nice variety of deaths a nice smattering of deaths but it's really unfortunate that this is from the same guy who directed that great car pileup scene from final destination 2 because they're just completely out of the league with each other yeah, I was thinking about that, too, because I was like, yeah, the one and two is, is on a whole nother level of just catastrophe. And like the body count is lower, but just visually, it just seems like a bigger, like massive event happening with just trucks going into cars. And yeah, just the motorcycle rider. Yeah, it just there's so much happening on like a grander scale. This one just felt like, yeah, like it's just really silly. And then everywhere like nick will like look to his right and then like someone like something will happen and then like yeah hunt and janet get crushed by just like big piece of concrete it's, it's yeah just, it's it's mostly ridiculous. just people getting hit by large objects <laughs> like yeah. they're like stuck in the stands getting hit by large objects oh one thing i do like about this race scene which did you notice there are multiple points where a car kind of skitters and it's straight up a dolphin sound effect. No, <laughs> that is that is the best joke in the movie. It's just that they oh, use I a need dar- to go back. And- <laughs> yeah, they just use a dolphin sound effect for wheels. Okay, I need to go back and, and like listen a little bit closer because that sounds fucking great. Um, yeah, I feel like there's like a slightly more campier, more ridiculous version of this movie that exists, but I don't know if I want to see that movie. Well. So, yeah, this movie, it's trying to do a thing where it's going to be the most comedic. But aside from Hunt, who has, like, a few decent lines, the characters aren't funny. Yeah, no. It's just it's it's just playing with, like, a funny irony. Uh, a character mentions deja vu and then gets hit by a bus sim- or, uh, or an ambulance, similar to how a character was killed by a bus in the first Final Destination. Um, yeah, and that kind of bothered me because at least in the first one, when the homegirl is giving like this really big speech, and then the bus like just totally takes her out randomly, like that worked for me one hundred percent. But for this one, like they're kind of having a talk, and he like goes off and gets hit by this ambulance. But I'm like, yo, like aren't they at a hospital? Like, and then he like looks at the body, but like there's no one like in the driver's seat of the car, and like this, the details of it just kind of bothered me, and I was like, I don't why. Like, why am I overanalyzing this stupid <laughs> fucking Final Destination movie? But yeah, you, in that moment, were you I was high? Like, no, I've actually uh, okay. I've been on a, like a, a kind of tolerance break. I've just been <laughs> having very vivid dreams. <laughs> it's been insane. But yeah, that moment bothered me. I was like, damn it! Like you're making me pull out the details of this movie that you really don't want me to because you're in front of a hospital and this guy just gets hit by like this ghost fucking ambulance bus or whatever. not bus, a truck kind of. I was just like, who's driving this car? <laughs> This is also the first movie that doesn't have Tony Todd in it at all. Um, yeah, I think that's that's really where it suffers. <laughs> yeah, Tony that was Todd he, show up. To he's get, the like, magic ingredient. Speech. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's it's very strange. Yeah, and then the scenes that we do get of these characters getting killed is just they're not very creative. Like the mechanic scene is like kind of gets there when he like gets pushed against the fence, but yeah, as we're watching the setup to it, it just. Yeah, it all feels very much the same. And yeah. yeah very it just feels lazy. Mill. Yeah. Yeah, like I was saying, it made me appreciate the setup t- to three a lot more. It's like they didn't even try to write a movie. Like they were just like, we know how these movies work. We just have to come up with death scenes. And they didn't yeah, even up, do right. a good job coming up with death scenes. Yeah. And then like the cowboy, like he gets the death inside of the hospital was one that was like, just seems really, really dumb. Like the. Like, this old guy is getting, like, physical therapy. He's being, like, old and racist and curmudgeon And, like, the tub is, like, just continuing to fill out of out of his control. And then the floor below is, like, the cowboy, like, trying to crawl away from the dripping yeah. uh, dripping ceiling. And then, like, they come in, and then he just turns around and just gets crushed. And I was like, okay. yeah, it's just, like, a lot of people getting crushed in this movie. And it's also, like, why did that dude have to be racist? Like, what is that yeah. adding to this movie? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Anyways, yeah, fuck the final destination we got one more this movie sucks we have one more the next one i am going to watch in 3d 
Um, really? Yeah, I I found so this is illegal, <laughs> but <laughs> I found a download uh, to watch it f- for like a 3D version. And you have a VR headset, so you could probably watch it in 3D too. But like, you can get a player, a video player for VR to watch 3D movies. Ah, good to know. Yeah, so I could send it to you. Um, it's probably a huge fucking file, but hey, um, I, can, I might be able to finesse it. I I have my means. All right, but yeah, send me the link. Uh, that, that sounds a lot of fun, actually. Yeah. Um, let's see. So, yeah, that's honestly those are like my main thoughts yeah. about this movie. We're kind of on the same page about it. Yeah, it's just a very fucking lazy movie, and yeah, I'm kind of I'm I'm kind of looking forward to finishing this off with five. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and on to, to the next thing. Um, yeah, so that concludes our thoughts for The Final Destination. Uh, before we get into, uh, what have you been watching lately? I kind of wanted to talk about Possessor a little bit more. Um, okay, because, well, well, what were your thoughts? Uh, so I'm just, I keep thinking over, like, what is this movie about? Um, so I was kind of caught up on the sort of sexual violence thing, or I guess I shouldn't call it sexual violence, but the relationships between violence and sexuality that kind of exist within that movie. Um, yeah. And I still don't know what it's saying with that, but I do believe it's there and I do believe it's intentional. I don't think I'm just imagining this. Um, however, something you brought up and I, I got the impression that you were kind of fixated on was uh, his job and Colin's job and sort of like the invasion of privacy and technology and stuff like that. And so something I went back to thinking about is, you know, basic storytelling question. By the end of a story, we should be able to answer the question, what can our protagonists do now that they could not do before? Basic storytelling stuff. So at the end of the movie, Tasia has, her, her family has been killed. She killed her family. And so she is able to move on professionally, I guess you could say, because what was her name? Gerder? Gerder wanted her to relieve herself of her attachments to her family so that she could take on Gerder's role. Um, So thinking about that and the question of like, okay, why does why does Tasia feel the need to keep doing this? You know, why does she why is she so attached to the idea of being a possessor? Why isn't she willing to give this up for her family? And thinking about that in relationship with Colin, who is at his job that he's gotten from, I think it's John, the the CEO. Um, and I think, it, is it Anna? I, ha- I have all the names pulled up, I could just say. Uh, Ava. Uh, Ava, his girlfriend, she's the daughter of the CEO. The CEO gives him this job. We get the, we get the sense that it was like him doing him a favor. But the job is incredibly dehumanizing. And the job is desensitizing because it's dehumanizing because it's very repetitive work and he has no respect from the CEO who gave him this job. Um, And it is desensitizing because he is invading people's privacy and he is forced to just, just focus on the, the drapes, just focus on the, uh, what do you call them? He's like, yeah, he's looking at furniture and ignoring the people, basically. But yeah, the people are like often, you know, in in private situations. So he's probably seeing a lot of, you know, a lot of butts. Yeah, and he's putting on these sort of virtual reality goggles, so he's in a confined space, surrounded by other coworkers, and pretending that he's not. Um, so I guess what I'm thinking about the relationship between these two things, I'm just coming upon the idea of is this movie just about how career advancement is dehumanizing and is it sort of like is it sort of just a sort of late capitalism uh you know work is yeah work is dehumanizing work desensitizes you work robs you of your empathy and your compassion um i don't know yeah, i like that i like that angle a lot yeah i think that's kind of spot on because yeah it's definitely very cold and dystopian when we do see colin inside of that like office space and yeah it's just this and like yeah the way it's shot it just feels very like matrixy where they're just like in this hallway it's just very empty and they're just all in these headsets kind of just like in, into their world into their you know whatever they're doing for their shift and yeah, then, yeah, it's also very desensitizing. Yeah, uh, he doesn't live throughout the movie, but at his demise, Tasia is allowed to basically go one step further in her desensitization, desensitization and yeah, kind of move on 
further into the world of the possessor and so yeah. yeah i think that's spot on and to kind of take on girder's role so it's like a career growth thing meanwhile yeah. what 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 was her job her job was to kill a ceo and and the ceo's daughter so that the son could take over the business so that's also a career growth thing so this man is hiring people to kill his own family so that he may grow in his career she has just killed her own family so she can grow in her career and we get the sense that you know through this possession at least I got the sense that maybe Colin, maybe Colin did kind of want to kill John and Ava. And it was only through the possession that he was allowed to do so. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Yeah, there's a, a slight air of humiliation. No, that's not slight. There's like, he gets humiliated straight up in the first encounter with John. Um, yeah. Yeah, he gets, yeah, gets straight up, yeah, straight up humiliated when he, uh, she's like, yeah, we've got to go up there and kind of make this appearance in the party. And then he yeah, just tears him down and just said yeah totally totally talks talks down to him and then yeah he snaps and the moment when he's snapping i was like yeah like is this a little bit of him or a little bit of tasia like you know i was like i was interested in that what kind of blend because yeah just the way that it's performed it seemed like it it was kind of ambiguous to like who is really lashing out at john in this moment because one thing i kind of fixated on in regards to um colin's interactions with john is Colin is possessed by Tasia, but before Colin kills John, he sits down in front of him and he says, what do you think of me? And it's just Colin and it's just John. And we know Colin is possessed by Tasia. Why would Tasia ask that question? Um, She doesn't have to keep up this performance that she's actually Colin. She could just kill him and move on with her, with her job, basically. Um, So it feels like to me, that question of what do you think of me is feeding into the motivations of Colin, not of Tasia. Um, yeah, I, I kind of agree. And then to add on to that, when they, when Colin first arrives to the, I forget what the name of the company is, but when he first gets there, that's when the kind of the artifacts are introduced where he's like seeing things. And yeah. Yeah. I kind of buy the, the idea that like, maybe like even up to that early point is kind of like a, a 50 50 or maybe like a 70 30 where like who's kind of in control or like who's like who's who's driving right now and yeah i I totally like that idea of when there are those moments of calling kind of breaking through it's like yeah like it's actually this person's desires kind of just lining up slightly with the intention of the assassination but also being able to get a little bit of release and a little bit of catharsis just being like this is how i actually feel yeah yeah, yeah, I so, like that you brought that up. Yeah, that's what's been rolling around in my head in regards to Possessor. I think I'm still going to continue to have thoughts about it. but For sure. Uh, but what have you been watching lately? So yeah, I think I, I found out what my cinematic comfort food is, and it's definitely like music documentaries. That's the thing I've been watching to kind of get away from the heavier heavier type of movies. So yeah, I watched um, the Beastie Boys story. I was going to ask if you watched that. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. Uh yeah, it's it's okay. It's not that great. It's weird because it's not a traditional documentary. It's more of a, I don't want to say it like this. It's it's kind of reminiscent of a TED talk almost. It's just like Mike and Adam on stage, kind of talking their way through a lot of the bigger moments of the band with like a little bit of footage and a little bit of pictures happening behind them. But yeah, it was really disappointing. Uh, that mm. movie really disappointed me. But I watched last night. I watched uh, this Rush documentary, which was which was really cool. I didn't know much about Rush and interesting. It was kinda, yeah, so it was just like something to kind of wind down with and you know hang out with Getty Lee and Neil Peart for a bit. Um, have you seen a band called Death? No, that was one of the most recent documentaries I watched. Music documentaries I watched. It's about this punk band called Death that was composed of black dudes. And it was before punk was really a thing. So it kind of plays with the idea that maybe the first punk band was a group of black dudes. <laughs> That's uh, dope. I think I remember hearing about this when I was kind of volunteering at film festivals back when I was living in San Francisco. And so, yeah, I remember seeing like the uh, this in a, like on a program somewhere. I'd be like, yeah, like, I really want to see that. But it was always sold out. It's a pretty sweet documentary because it talks about how the band was mostly one man's vision and how he just kind of stubbornly refused to like give up this give up this vision and that's awesome and it just kind of 
magically and i want to underline magically because it feels like it's a it's a weird sort of universe communicating to this man's situation uh it, it magically comes together where the band does get discovered um awesome yeah yeah so it's, it's, it's a good watch yeah i find it interesting when there's like that one clear person because that's what mca was to the bc boys like every time they really made like a pivotal turn in yeah. their career it's like it was mainly because mca was like leading the ship in a way mca was the first celebrity death where i remember crying about it um yeah i had tickets to the fucking show in san francisco yeah, yeah that, dude. that was that was heavy i was so so sad when i had to sell those and i was just like yeah man just just uh yeah just that takes me back to a rough rough time yeah i i grew <laughs> I up the... listening to the beastie boys and i remember i even one of their performances was on tv and i started recording it on a vhs and it turns out it was a vhs of like childhood videos of like me, <laughs> me as a little boy um that's amazing <laughs> yeah I, I think i only recorded a little bit before we realized like oh no like that tape was still in the vcr it's like, oh yeah, I want to watch Daniel's first steps. Like, no, this is <laughs> yeah. this is definitely sabotage happening. <laughs> um, yeah, I still remember though. Like, I was a dog walker at the time, and I had to go pick up a dog from someone's house. And so I walk into like the lobby of their building, and I just started crying, like thinking about because yeah. my sister had cancer and she survived, but like, it just really pissed me off the thought of you know this person that i had grown up listening to like being taken by cancer uh yeah yeah i, yeah, I like would wish i could say I, I grew up with the beastie boys like i didn't listen to them until i like was towards the middle of high school kind of like uh, yeah like high school like the to the five bros was the first cd of theirs like, i had bought and so i kind of got onto it towards the tail end and so yeah. yeah hearing that was like yeah really really fucking sad and then now i like i read their book over the past year and yeah just hearing about like how he was just like the heart of that group and like mike d and you know uh yeah uh I forget the other guy's name but yeah they were kind of like following his lead in a lot of ways because he's the older the oldest one in the group and yeah he like yeah a lot of philanth a lot of philanthropy and shit so yeah getting me kind of <laughs> choked up yeah, yeah it's <laughs> fucking it's a bummer so yeah i like I was really let down by that movie. And Spike Jones was my favorite director, like, for the longest yeah, time. Yeah, I remember. And so, yeah. And I was just like, yo, like, how is this a boring fucking Beastie Boys <laughs> movie? I was like, it's like, how did Spike Jones manage to make, like, a boring... I was like, I put on, um, I fucking shot that instead. Like, their Madison Square Garden. Like, mm. uh, I, you know about that whole, like, movie. I don't think so. So that's basically... Uh, their like last really big show is Madison Square Garden. It's not one of their last ones, but it's one of their biggest shows towards the end. It's like 2004 Madison Square Garden. It's sold out. Um, so MCA bought a bunch. Of, he bought like a hundred VHS cameras and gave them to a select people in the crowd. Oh, cool! So, so it's shot from the crowd perspective. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I throw that movie on like in the background sometimes. Yeah, I it's haven't just seen nice that. to have. Yeah, it's, it's dope. I highly recommend that. It's just like a fucking party the entire time. And then it's just cut with random shots from people in the crowd. Just Yeah, so it's, it's really great. That movie's fantastic. Yeah, I know he was pretty experimental. Like, he did... When their music video anthology came out from Criterion, he had a feature on there where you could choose different camera angles as you were watching the DVD of, like, some of their videos. Cool. Yeah, that's the thing. Is like, at their core, that group was super experimental. So mm -hmm. I'm like, how is this like a fucking ted talk of a, oh, a documentary like yeah it just it kind of bummed me out but yeah there, there's still so much great beastie boys content out there i was just like okay it's just it's fine there's other stuff i can yeah um so this week i watched the mandalorian <laughs> and yeah. which i think it's inevitable that we're going to talk about that every week um, yeah it's a big episode too yeah man i really dug it um i think last week i mentioned that I wasn't too confident in Dave Filoni's live action directing, uh, you know, experience. You're a little skeptical of Ahsoka. <laughs> yeah, the, I was, I was skeptical of how she would look. Um, but then as I was watching the episode, I was like, oh yeah, Dave Filoni also directed my favorite lightsaber fight in okay. Star Wars Rebels, which is, this is a spoiler for Star Wars Rebels, but it's Obi-Wan versus Darth Maul. Because uh, okay. Darth Maul's not dead. Um, yeah, yeah. And yeah, so watching this episode, it's like, it's nice to see Star Wars take it slow and let scenes breathe 
and this the episode was surprisingly short considering how like well paced it was it 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 took its it felt like it took its time but it was only like a 45 minute episode um yeah av club said it was like kurosawa inspired and i was like yeah yeah totally especially that like that final showdown and yeah i I thought it was really really great well some of the some of the framing the compositions are like almost the exact same as yojimbo compositions totally totally and then uh ahsoka she fights with uh, a long lightsaber and a short lightsaber which is inspired by i think it's inspired by um musashi i think his name was he was a samurai who fought with a long sword and a short sword and he was a poet and a tea maker and he had won an absurd amount of duels and his whole thing was you fight with two swords because uh you know a lot of samurais fight with one sword but if you fight with two you're training your arms to be stronger because you have to carry the weight of the sword and if something happens where you lose one hey guess what you got you still got you still got another sword um you're still badass yeah and I, i i heard a story about how he got to a point where it was all just about stances and he would like just take a branch off a tree and he could defeat someone just with like the stances he chose um that's awesome but yeah i thought the episode was was really great uh ahsoka i think still looked kind of weird um but uh yeah they did they did the thing where what i thought they were gonna do which is they kind of it felt like they desaturated the episode even more to sort of make her more palatable um uh yeah i I got that vibe a little bit yeah i thought she looked good i liked the like kind of headdress i didn't it didn't bother me too much so this is the first time you've seen this character right like the, the first time that you yeah, yeah I haven't watched any rebels or clone wars or any of that uh, stuff, so. so yeah what was your take on it i dug it yeah i thought it was a really strong choice to introduce her just like right off the bat of yeah. the, top of the episode and just like have this like really misty forest scene where she's like just going through and just like picking people off it made me want to play ghost of tsushima it's like I'm yeah playing that game it's like yeah like just that stealth just like menacing like just slowly creeping up towards the like the city gates or whatever as they're just like up there watching as like all their dudes get picked off i thought that was really good the way she I disappears like the... when the smoke goes over her and stuff yeah. yeah yeah so like yeah i thought it was uh strongly directed uh, i thought the visuals were very strong really well directed i was kind of stuck on the whole baby yoda grogu kind of thing because yeah. they like dropped a lot of like lore and mythology in that and i was like oh damn like they're kind of going all for it yeah it's interesting because i guess to explain like like disney wants to make more stuff with jedi but all the jedi were killed during order 66 so now disney has had to create multiple characters i think this is the third character now that has survived order 66 just so they <laughs> yeah. can have random jedi running around um maybe even the fourth character but um yeah i wasn't gonna say uh so this movie also introduces if you haven't watched rebels or clone wars it brings up grand admiral thrawn do you know anything about thrawn i've heard that name and i've like done some casual digging when i would like just get obsessed about some random star wars detail so i've seen like the image of him like imperial dude with just all blue skin yeah but i don't know much about what he does so after return of the jedi when it was believed there weren't going to be any more star wars movies this guy i think his name's timothy zahn wrote a series of books uh called the thrawn trilogy and where thrawn is the main villain of these this this new trilogy of books that happened after return of the jedi um after disney acquired star wars they made all of those books quote-unquote legends they're no longer canon and over heard about that yeah and over time, they've slowly reintroduced some of the elements from that expanded universe into the new canon, uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn being one of them. So they reintroduced Grand Admiral Thrawn in uh, Star Wars Rebels, and now I guess there's a possibility we'll get a taste of him in live action. And he's voiced by uh, Mads Mikkelsen's brother. I think his name's Lars Mikkelsen. So, oh, okay. so maybe we'll get, yeah, both of the Mikkelsen brothers will have been in Star Wars movies. Or Star Wars content, yeah. Um, what do you think about, like, them getting really, really deep into, like, extended universe lore versus just, like, sticking to just whatever they were kind of setting like up Like Jedi and shit? Or... Yeah. Uh, Instead of just kind of being more just Mandalorian-led things. I mean, I think it's cool because it's, like, uh, the way I see it is a lot of people think of 
the Star Wars saga as the core Star Wars experience. But that is the minority of Star Wars content at this point. Uh, Clone Wars is... I don't know how many fucking hours Clone Wars is. Rebels, I don't know how many hours that is. There's another animated show called Resistance I haven't even seen. Um, <laughs> and then now we have The Mandalorian, two seasons of The Mandalorian, which is tying together a lot of the TV stuff um, with, with only kind of touching upon the movie stuff. And so we're reaching a point where the expanded universe or the extended universe or whatever you call it is no longer the extended universe. It is just the universe. <laughs> and totally, yeah. like all of it is just operating in communication with each other and it within conflict with each other. And it's just one piece. Like Star Wars saga is just going to be one piece of a larger puzzle. And I think that's kind of cool. Like on one hand, it's making it less special, but I don't know. Like that's kind of what what's fun about star wars is it's just it's just so fucking expansive and like as they bring new creators on board it's like what are they gonna do with it what are they gonna do with it like yeah i like that a lot yeah there was some complaints a lot online about that but i was like yeah that's fucking dumb like you guys have like one of the richest fucking like like things of pop culture one of the richest storylines and like there's so many characters so many planets so many things that happen in star wars like why not mine that stuff to make good content? Yeah, go fucking wild with it. Yeah, and on a side note, kind of, like, I was watching the Chef Show while getting my hair retwisted with my mom, and uh, uh, are you familiar with the Chef Show with John Favreau? Uh, I've seen a little bit of it. Okay, so there's one episode where he's, like, on Skywalker Ranch cooking stuff out of their garden, mm -hmm. and then Dave Filoni comes in as, like, a little guest kitchen person. Yeah. And this is all. this is all way before, this is, like, even before Lion King came out. This was like a yeah. few years ago. And so it's really funny to hear them dance around the Mandalorian and uh -huh. not mention it by name. That's and so like, funny. And mention, yeah, so they're, they're in the kitchen. They're like, oh, yeah, this knife is like Beskar. And I'm just like, you guys are just fucking nerding well, out because right now. I, like... <laughs> I think John Favreau was a voice, I think, maybe yeah. in the Clone Wars? Yeah, they, they showed that clip. Okay. Yeah, he gets, he gets killed by Darth Maul, I think. Oh, shit. All right, well, good for him. <laughs> yeah. Um... But yeah. yeah, I just thought that was really funny because they were just like totally nerding out like two little kids. But, it, but then John Favreau said a line. He's like, yeah, like we're making the shows that we want to watch. And I totally get that with The Mandalorian. It's like a labor of love for people who grew up with Star Wars. And yeah, if they want to, you know, introduce some more Jedi and kind of, I don't want to say retcon, but kind of just change a few things. You know, I'm, to I'm all for it because like I said, I can watch Mandalorian Planet Hop forever. So if they want to go meet a Jedi somewhere, I'm, I'm all for it. And I think the reason Mandalorian works for Star Wars fans is because it is still about a warrior who lives by a code, which is basically what the Jedi were. But it's yeah. the Jedi were warrior monks, and this is a, a bounty hunter. So we get, you know, we're leaning more into Western cowboy action than samurai action. Um, and, and then, yeah. go ahead. I was going to say the, st the standoff towards the end of this episode was really really well done where he's just like they're listening to the fight inside yeah and i love like, that like she won and he like tries to set down the gun and go for the foothold serve and then just gets shot i was like yes yeah, dude's badass and it's like even though we don't we've only met these characters that are their opponents uh in this episode so there isn't a ton of emotional weight within the situation like it still worked like it's still building yeah, the yeah. tension really well and i think by cross-cutting between the samurai fight and a cowboy fight um and knowing that the stakes of the cowboy fight are reliant on the samurai fight it's like <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's 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 playing with tension in a really fun way um yeah absolutely yeah yeah, great show, and and I'm interested to know because like the next step, the next show I think they're doing is Cassian Andor, which is Diego Luna's character from Rogue One. Um, yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, so I'm interested to see how that works out because, like I said, like Mandalorian, it's a it's a warrior who lives by code, the same way Jedi's do, and so it's not too far off when we consider like I guess the tone and the style and what audiences are getting invested in, but Cassian Andor what we've established so far is that he is a character who has had to do terrible things that he doesn't feel good about for the sake of the cause, which is the rebellion. And so maybe we'll get a little bit of a shift in character, but I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. I'm curious. I feel like that would be like a darker kind of Han Solo kind of vibe where it's just like, yeah. you know, 
he's just going to be hustling throughout the galaxy, just doing whatever it takes to get by. Yeah, and I guess Solo's code is he just serves himself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what he kind of reminded me of. I haven't seen Rogue One in a while, but that's what that character sort of reminded yeah. me of. Well, I, yeah, I, I definitely, yeah, I get the vibe because Solo's big thing is like, oh, he's introduced shooting a man before the man has to shoot him. And Cassie Andor, the way he's introduced is he shoots a man who has helped him, who has given him information because he's afraid <laughs> of being caught. Um, yeah. So, yeah, he's sacrificing a pretty innocent person for this greater cause, which kind of gnarly for Star Wars. Yeah, I need to rewatch Rogue One. Rogue One's fucking great. Yeah. Um, it's got a lot of problems, but whatever. I'm just like, that movie's a miracle that it even fucking exists. Like, the fact that they brought yeah, back yeah. Uh, Tarkin, <laughs> like Peter Cushing from the dead, is so fucking ballsy and weird. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, anything else before we wrap things up? Yeah. No, I think that's it. Should we talk about what's next on our? Oh what yeah, like what's next? Uh, so next week's it's my pick. Your choice. Yeah. yeah, and I'm thinking of watching the killing of a sacred deer, and it'll also be our first episode with a guest. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm going to be bringing on Derek Cooper, who is the founder of Dimension. It is an app where people are able to post beliefs and rate beliefs on. A scale of zero to 100 so he is sort of um what he's doing he'll he'll speak to it better than i am but what he's sort of doing is eliminating the binary of how we um engage with content online you know usually you see a post on reddit you can either upvote or you can downvote it um this we, we want to get to a, a more granular understanding of where you stand on a belief and how your stance will evolve over time um that sounds so, fantastic. So, yeah, the binariness of yeah, the that aspect of Reddit has always bothered me so much. Um, and so yeah, why are we having him on? That sounds completely unrelated to movies. Well, he's a buddy <laughs> of mine, and he's been pressuring me to watch Killing a Sacred Deer for a long time. So so we'll have him on to talk talk movies, and he'll tell us a little bit more about Dimension. So yeah, it's exciting. All right, so thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, that was episode 16 of Vague Zone. If you want to follow us on Twitter, hit us at, at @vaguezone. If you want to email us at vaguezonepod at gmail.com. If you have suggestions, questions, lists, if you just want to tell us to fuck off, you can do that too. Just email us and we will hit you back up. Um, yeah, it's this has been episode 16. Yeah, thank you for listening. I've been one of your co-hosts, Thomas. And I'm Daniel. And catch you on the next one. Yes, take care.